Good morning. Before I have you stand, we're going to read our text. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to be praying for souls. We do that once a month. And if you can come and join us to pray for your loved ones or those people that you know, we see the Lord doing things, but we are praying that he will break through some of the... Well, the Bible tells us that the God of this age blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. Let us say you see the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a battle going on for the souls of those that we love. It's spiritual. And the devil would like nothing more than keep them blinded and bound in sin. Our prayers, in fact, uh, if we really believe, uh, am I echoing? So you get to hear me twice. <laughs> um, now I forget what I said, so maybe it'll echo back in, back in my brains. Anyway, we believe in prayer and what God said about it. It's the most humbling of our disciplines because all we're doing is talking. We're talking, but we're talking to God. We're asking Him to do these things. So if we really say we believe in prayer, then we should be praying. And tomorrow night, we're going to pray for souls. We have prayer meetings on Saturday morning, all that. So also, these prayer requests, cards, either these or the ones in the back of your chair, if you'll fill those out, you will get prayed for at least once a month individually over that prayer request that you put in these prayer bowls. The trumpet bowl is, for putting, is the green one for how did God answer prayers for you so that we can be encouraged in how the Lord is answering prayers. And I have heard so many stories just coming to light of what God's doing. He's doing some great stuff. And as I'm uh, looking at Janelle, I'm thinking of uh, noise coming, noise, right? Yeah. He is coming this Wednesday, next Wednesday. You might want to really make that a, a slot for yourself because we are dealing as a culture with a rampant problem of suicide. And it's tragic, it's sad. And his message is hope in that we, we need to know there's a hope there is hope in that if, if uh, we include Jesus in what we're doing and seeking to reach and help these people, okay? So then uh, the men's breakaway too, I just want to continue to amplify that for you men to come out, it's just five, six hours breakfast, and, uh, and the women are having theirs, and I, I should just do the announcements, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the women's night is a week from tomorrow night. Uh, you, and come to that too, okay? So here we go. Why don't you stand? Uh, Mark chapter 2, we love to stand and just honoring the Word of God. And that's another area that uh, we believe very strongly. The Word of God, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God changes people's lives. And we believe that with all of our hearts. We believe the Word of God is living and powerful. So as we read it, hear it, memorize it, think about it, it's God speaking to us. So this morning, He's speaking to us from beginning of Mark chapter 2. Verse 23, and we're going to read through chapter 3 and verse 6. Mark 2, 23. Now it happened that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, 
to save life or to kill, but they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, as, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So, Lord, we are so, again, wanting to hear you speak to us. Our, our hearts long for the living God. And we know, Lord, that you want, you initiated, you, you are desiring that we would draw close to you and you, would draw, you will draw close to us. So, Lord, the things that I prepared, I ask that you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We also know, Lord, that we are in a spiritual battle and there are many people blinded from the gospel. Lord, our prayers this morning, if there's anyone listening here, watching, or will hear this at some time, you would open their eyes to see the glories of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, take these words that I prepared, break them, feed us, minister to us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So here's a little, I think, a little picture that gives a little the essence of uh, legalism. Go ahead, break the rules, make my day, which is, law, it says legalism, it's not just a job, it's a way of life. And that's the Pharisees and scribes uh, to a T. Go ahead, break the rules, make my day to Jesus. Legalism is the strict, literal, or excessive conformity to a law or religious or moral code. It's the institutionalized rules that are the measure of acceptance or rejection. Uh, and, Andrina said, legalism has killed more faith than doubt ever has. I can't even... Uh, someone said, legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. And I say to that, amen. Legalism says God will love us if we change... And there's always that hint of the flesh, that, that running in the background for each and every one of us, this whole idea that if I can just be measure up, God will love me more. But that's not the gospel. God loves us. He can't love us anymore. He loves us with a perfect love. But the gospel says that God will change us. He will change us because he loves us. God loves us too much to let us stay in the place that we are. Thus, he's the hound of heaven, if you haven't known him yet. He's on it. <laughs> he's wanting to speak to you. But for us who know him, God is wanting to transform our lives from the inside out. We looked at that a little bit last week. Jerem Bars, in his book, Delighting in the Law of the Lord, Alternative to Legalism and Moralism, he makes four basic critiques of the scribes and Pharisees' approach to righteousness, which is through legalism. Number one, hypocrisy. Adding human rules to God's laws invariably shifts the focus to external behavior and therefore encourages pretense, the merely outward appearance of righteousness. We looked at this last week. We're looking at it this week and also in a couple other studies coming up in Mark. God's law, in contrast, always addresses the heart and demands transformation from within. We looked at last week how this righteousness of God is imputed to us, producing true righteousness from the inside out. It's God's work. Two, human rules. Jesus insists that all the rules of the elders added to God's commandments were simply that, human rules rather than God's word and God's heart, I would add. 
Jesus rejects all their rules and application of the law as merely the, quote, teaching of men. Third, replacing God's commandments with ours. Whenever we add our own rules to God's law, regardless of our original motivation, the effect will be to jettison God's commandments and instead impose human re regulations on God's people. And then the fourth one, nullifying God's commandments. Human rules invariably invalidate God's commandments. God's commandments are what I call fences of love. God's setting the boundaries, the Ten Commandments, for joy, for peace, for freedom, for security, in relationship with Him. You can climb over the fences if you'd like, but God has put them up for a purpose, to keep us from destroying our lives. To keep them, the law of God, the commandments, is not legalism. To keep them is not legalism. To keep them is to know love. To know God's love. Now, our culture is set on parading our liberties. You can't tell me what to do. I have the right to do whatever is right in my own eyes. Sadly, our Christian culture is doing the same thing. We have traded away the greatest freedom, which is loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We have traded away that great freedom, that's what that is, for the deceitfulness of sin and the bondage of its power. Paul said to the Corinthians twice, I'll read one of them, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. He said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul understood the freedom he had in Christ, and it kept him from all these other things that would bring him into bondage, that would not edify, that would not be helpful. He understood that. Outside the fences, there's a lot of that stuff. So God's love is demanding, but it is also impossible until I have first received the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiven, born again, a new creation in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You see, it's a new life, not of religion about God, but a new life in relationship with God. Redeemed, accepted, secure. It's a new life, not of traditions for God. It's a new life of transformation by God. How? Through the word of God, through the laws of God, the things he put out there. They are impossible to keep except from the inner man being renewed, a new life and a new spirit within us, a Holy Spirit within us, to enable us to, by the power of God, keep his commandments. And his commandments, listen, his commandments are not burdensome. They are freedom. You see, to know them is to know God's love. To live them is to live God's love. And so Warren Wearsby writes in his commentary on this chapter in Mark, when Jesus began openly to violate the Sabbath traditions, it was like declaring war against the religious establishment. He began his campaign by healing the man who had been sick for 38 years, that's in John chapter 5, and then followed with the events recorded now 
in this section. And so what is lawful or is it lawful? Those are the two questions we find in these verses. Verses 23 to 28. What is, what is, why are they doing what is not lawful? What is not lawful? The second one, is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to save lives or not? So in verse 23, it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do, you, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? We're talking about the scribes and Pharisees, and Mark is lining up five examples of this tension that was going on between Jesus and these religious leaders. The problem is, the fact is, the disciples were not breaking the law. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 23, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you're not to hook up your John Deere tractor and take it into the fields. It's amazing how stingy I find myself when God has given me so much. There's a whole, I can have a whole field and be so grudging about somebody walking in there and taking a couple grains of head. Our God is so generous. His heart is so generous. Now, they weren't breaking the law, but they were breaking the Pharisaical Sabbath traditions. The Talmud, Peter Scarzera wrote this in an emotional, healthy leader. He said, quote, the Talmud, a central text of mainstream Judaism and the basis for all codes of Jewish law, identifies 39 categories of activity prohibited on the Sabbath. They had a list. The application of these prohibitions evolved over centuries. So this list became more and more detailed, more and more legalistic. These civil and ceremonial regulations, the Talmud, were developed and systematized to such an extent they became a burden upon the people. They became a living example of absurd extravagances. They became entirely occupied with observing regulations to please the opinions of the rabbis. So picking up the grain, that was reaping forbidden on the Sabbath. Can't do that. Can't pick it. Rubbing the grain in their hands, that's threshing. You can't do it. It's work. Listen to this one. You can spit on a rock, that's okay. But the minute you spit in dirt, that's not okay because now that spit and the dirt becomes mortar and that's work. <laughs> I mean, they were absurd, many of them. And so it explains the antagonism that they had with Jesus and Jesus with them. It explains why after, right after the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, but after it, the sick were brought to be healed after sunset. In Mark chapter 1, at evening when the sun had set, they brought him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. These traditions have become a crushing religious bondage. But oh, the people lived around them. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was, this is the key, when he was in need and hungry? And not only him, but those with him. Did you, know, did you see what David did? The key is they were in need, they were hungry. 
how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests and who also, and also gave some to those who were with him. Have you, have you never read? Of course, they had read it many times. But now it's being filtered through their own traditions, their own legalistic nuances, or more than that. So David's fleeing from Saul. He needs food for his men. So he goes in, and the only thing there is the showbread. So Abbe, actually, it was Ahimelech, the high priest, who was Abiathar's son. Doeg the Edomite's there, if you know the story. Doeg the Edomite's there, and he sees David talking, and he sees what happened. And it resulted in 85 priests of Nob, those there, being killed by, the king, by king Saul, along with this Ahimelech. Evil. You see, the law was clear. The showbread was the priest for the priest only. Leviticus chapter 24. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. It was to be only for them. So what did David do? Listen, his actions were contrary to what God had written, the law. But he was not condemned for it. And neither was Ahimelech, the high priest, who eventually was murdered because of what he did. Jesus did not argue with them about that. He wasn't insisting that they're at, he wasn't trying to argue a case. Because the lesson is very clear. The heart of the law is in meeting human need whenever it's there. The heart of law is in respect to human need. That's always, listen, it's always God's priority. Always. Human need is a higher law than religion, religious ritualism. And he said to him, the Sabbath was made, for, this is such a beautiful thing. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is now reminding, I would say even restoring the beauty of the Sabbath as God always intended it to remain. And my friends, the Sabbath is beautiful beyond measure. It's exquisite. It's sublime. In 2019, we did a three-part series, The Sabbath, Finding Rest in a Restless World. It's on the website. You want, I would encourage you. That's my stack of books on the Sabbath. I had never really looked into it. I read all those books and putting those studies together. I'll, if you want, I'll send you the picture. I'm telling you, it changed my understanding so radically. Now, am I keeping a Sabbath? No. But I try, and I've tried, and I'll continue to work at it. This reminds me again. And in one of the books, actually it happened in three of the books, they pointed out the fact that our culture does not know what a Sabbath means. We used to know. It used to be the blue laws when I was growing up. So all the stores were closed on Sunday. Bo Bo this one called Bogianos was the only one open where my dad went in and got a newspaper. And I got the comics. But it used to be that. We used to have that. And yet, no longer. Now, I want to circle back to this in, uh, in a moment. What is not lawful? Is it lawful? And he entered the synagogue again, chapter 3, and a man was there who had a withered hand. 
the language seems to indicate that he became disabled. Wasn't born this way, but became disabled. Now notice, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. There, this ongoing tension when Jesus wanted to heal a man of a withered hand. It's so they almost set it up. It seems like they set it up, knowing that he would, to raise the, the, the tension to a higher level so they might accuse him. You talk about callous, calculating men. You're talking about the scribes and Pharisees. All the guys, all this are guys under spiritual piety, religiosity, robes, phylacteries. They filed all their legalistic policies under the, under the, in this case, under the name keeping the Sabbath. Here's what it means. Now, interesting, this man's infirmity was not life-threatening. Jesus could have waited until the next day, but he didn't. Why? Because the problem was never the day of the healing of the man's withered hand. The problem was the darkness that had withered these religious leaders' hearts. That's the problem. And always is the problem. First to the man, to the man stepped forward, and then he said to the man, is it lawful? It's almost an absurd question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? In other words, he's saying what they're doing is evil and what I'm going to do is good. To save life or to kill it. Again, I'm going to save life, but you're going to kill me is what he's pointing to. Verse 6. So Jesus is going to do good. He's going to save life. They were going to do evil and kill him, take his life. But they kept silent, it says. No kidding. <laughs> what do you say? For sure. What, what can they say? Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? They're both going to be done, by the way, in this case. Is it lawful to save life or to kill? They're both going to be done. What's lawful? And these Pharisees would say, it's not lawful to do good. But in their minds, as they're there, they're saying nothing because they condemn them. In their minds, they, have, they don't even see what's happened to their hearts. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, that anger means a momentary flash, a flash of anger flashed across. And by the way, this is the only place that, that it specifically is, is explicitly talking about Jesus' anger. Now, there's the other one when I think he goes into the temple and drives out with the cord. But this one explicitly says he was angry. His anger it was a righteous indignation. But listen, it was never cruel. It was never cruel. We read in Genesis, Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty, are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Jesus' anger is never cruel. 
It's righteous. It's indignation. Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anger can be a weakness. It can be destructive. The way to be angry and not sin is to be angry as Jesus would at nothing but sin. Being grieved means a continuous, ongoing grief. He carried, he bore this grief, listen, alone. He was grieved deeply as the son of God looking over his creation, looking over these leaders, looking over the people and what was happening to them because of them. Isaiah 53 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. He bore this grieving alone, as only God can. So hardness of their hearts means they're hardening more and more, just like Pharaoh's. Not a set thing yet, but it's getting there. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. (laughs) Do you have a problem with that? Like you say, say, do you have a problem with that? And they had a problem with it because of their hearts, their self-righteousness. Their traditions and legalism, their lust for power and recognition. It's as though Jesus went out, went out, out, out of his way to perform miracles on the Sabbath. He performed many times. He did the same many times on the Sabbath. He delivered a man from a demon possession on the Sabbath. Do you have a problem with that? So Jesus would say to them, he restored Peter's mother-in-law to health on the Sabbath. He freed a crippled woman on the Sabbath. He healed a paralytic on the Sabbath. He gave sight to the blind on the Sabbath. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil? To save life or to destroy it? Matthew records this same incident and includes an illustration Matthew chapter 12. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He's nailing it right. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Of course, you think, of course. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And Matthew records, it was, it was, he stretched it out and was restored as whole as the other one. <laughs> Just like, whoo! Billy Graham said this, Jesus spoke about the sheep in the ditch on the Sabbath. But if your sheep gets in the ditch every Sabbath, you should either get rid of the sheep or fill up the ditch. <laughs> there are practical ways with problems. <laughs> The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. The Pharisees thought it was wrong for Jesus to perform a miracle. But they're saying it's wrong because it's on the Sabbath. 
That's not what's in their hearts. What's in their hearts is that Jesus needs to be taken out. He needs to be killed. He's standing in the way of our power. He's standing in the way of our piety. He's standing in the way of our hypocrisy. All those things that Jesus challenged, which is what love always does. In all of his Sabbath controversies, Jesus showed that people and their needs were of paramount importance to God. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's either legalistic policies or loving people. Which is it? How do we see things? Jesus and all that he did on the Sabbath, and as attacked as he was about the Sabbath, he never gave any hint of abolishing the Sabbath. He had much to say about the manner in which the Sabbath was to be kept without even a hint or instruction or warning that it was to cease. He grieved over their hardness of heart, lack of any pity or compassion for people. And you know, I must admit, that same contrast I find warring in my own mind, my own soul, my own heart. Jesus said, if I'm doing good, and do you see that as, as wrong? Do you see that as bad? Do you see that as evil? There's times I'm not willing to forgive someone for the failures that they've had. I prickle and avoid those with differing worldviews. I have this, I find I can have this us versus them relational mentality. And it cuts off any means by which God might minister and love them and care for them. I rise up to be right rather than reach out to be kind. Someone said, would you rather be right or loving? I say, I want to be both. I want to be both. Love is always right. I have a trophied knowledge of the Bible that puffs up many times but does not build up. I'm making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. And nothing will keep my maturity more immature than trying to keep a list. Strike one, strike two. This is such a beautiful, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man was created on the sixth day, and then came the seventh day. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. We generally tend to think that God ended his work on the sixth day. That would mean there wouldn't be a seventh day. God's creation includes the seventh day. In other words, the seventh day was an act of his creation. It's interesting in the Ten Commandments. The first three, you shall have, no, you shall not, you shall not. But then he says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. It's a commandment. Remember it. It's already in place in creation. It's part of God's creation. 
The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made by God for man. It's fascinating, I find, as I'm just going over my notes from those studies, just fast to rethink and remind myself. The words that accompany the seventh day are rest and blessed and sanctified. It's a part of his divine institution, the seventh day, this rhythm. And listen, God gave that to man as a gift. It's a gift. It's to rest our bodies from work and to renew our souls in worship. To rest our bodies from work and to renew our souls in worship. It's a day set aside for communion with God, a day set aside for praise and thanksgiving, a a day of rest given by God to rest us, bless us, and set us apart to himself. And so you start adding God's great gift up. Every seventh day, so every seven years, one has rested a full year of days. I turned 70 this year. Ten years is what that adds up to if I had been observing God's rest. Ten years. A sanctified and blessed Social Security can never match God's Social Security. God's sanctified security. The Sabbath, I'm going to talk, I want to just run through a few things on the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest was completing the completing of God's creation and God did not unmake it. Jesus did not say the Sabbath was made for the Jews. The Sabbath was made for man. We may want to reject the Sabbath because of faulty legalistic policies, but that is to miss the creative design of the Sabbath, the exquisiteness and beauty of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift from God to man. The Sabbath is blessed and sanctified by God. Therefore, we're not only commanded to remember the Sabbath, but to keep it holy, sanctified by God. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who says in what manner the Sabbath is to be kept. Jesus emphasized the meeting of needs is at the heart of the Sabbath. Ours and others. Our greatest need is for God. Jesus had compassion in helping people on the Sabbath. He attended the synagogue to teach teach about God on the Sabbath. He miraculously healed people on the Sabbath. He was always doing good on the Sabbath, as well as every other day. The Sabbath is not a religious requirement as some define it, as some make it. To do so, is to reduce it to a practice of legalistic policies. And when they're not kept, they distance you from God. They burden you further with what you haven't done for God. Never the intention of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a relational rhythm to keep our souls rested, blessed, holy, and free. 
We remember our relationship with God, that we are loved by him. We remember our relationship with one another of what we are to be for each other. God, listen, this is so, God did not sanctify a person, a place, or a thing. He sanctified a time. Time is a holy commodity. And God designed us, gave us a gift every seventh day. Take time for God. Rest from work. Renew and worship. So whether we remember the Sabbath or not, it remains sanctified and holy. Ours is not to make it, but to enter into it. To benefit from it. Abram Joshua Heschel said, the Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. God is not in things of space, but in moments of time. The seventh day is like a palace in time with a kingdom for all, unquote. Judaism actually constructs the Sabbath as an architecture of time. Sabbath. Beautifully designed by God and in a work of art to behold as it's unfolding. A 24-hour slot of time when we step back and remember that God is very good. A day when our souls are renewed and we, we, we rediscover who we are as creating God's image. A day when God maintains our spiritual ground wherever we may be. He tills it. A day when his blessings are remembered and our balance is restored. A day when our souls catch up. That's not ketchup as you put on a hot dog. Our souls catch up and we rest again in Jesus. Now, I'm looking at all of you and I think myself, this is so foreign to anything we've ever had the understanding about. So these books that, I've been, that I was reading, they, all of them said, you try and do this, you're going to find out it's the hardest, one of the hardest things you'll ever try to do, to incorporate what God designed us to have incorporated into our time. This sacred rhythm created by God for us, where we stop working, whatever that means. Every seventh day, we delight ourselves in our creator, our provider, our healer, and our savior. The Sabbath sanctifies time. The Sabbath sanctifies just how much we are loved by God. The Sabbath sanctifies how we appreciate the beauty and genius of God's created order. The sa Sabbath sanctifies how we live our daily lives. The Sabbath, Sabbath sanctifies a deeper dependence on God. The Sabbath sanctifies marriage and family relationships. The Sabbath sanctifies how we see people, how we see our problems. The, sa the Sabbath sanctifies forgiveness and reconciliation. The Sabbath sanctifies good hard work. The Sabbath sanctifies rest. The Sabbath sanctifies freedom. And I could go on and on. This is what was being destroyed through legalism, through traditions, through religiosity and the hypocrisy of it. And so the questions that came to mind in this passage, Jesus said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil? To save life or to kill it? But they kept silent. 
So I asked my question, myself, is there ever a time when it is not lawful to meet a real need? Is there ever a time when it is not lawful to do good? Is there ever a time when it's not lawful to rejoice over a life that's healed? Is there ever a time when it's not lawful to rejoice over a life that's been saved? Or maybe this way. Is there ever a time when it is lawful to not meet a need I can meet? What would God have me to do? What's the heart of God? Is there ever a time when it is lawful to not refrain from evil, but to just go for it? Is there ever a time when it is lawful to be calloused in seeing a life being destroyed? Is, it ever, is there ever a time when it is lawful to be callous in seeing a life that's being lost? I know I can say to each one of you, when you look at your loved ones and this is the condition, Jesus, would you show up? Every day, not just one day, every day. The question is not, is it wrong to do this on the Sabbath, on the Lord's day? Rather, how may I best use this day to glorify to the glory of God to my spiritual good, and to the blessings of my neighbor. How can I do that? Now, but not just one out of seven days, every day. How may I best use every day to the glory of God, to my spiritual good, and the blessings of my neighbor? That, my friends, is the fulfilling of the law. The totality of the Christian life is never limited to some special day or set aside special time. It's not limited to a one-off act of service or one-off spiritual gift. The totality of the Christian life is in loving people, caring for people, day in, day out, at any time, in any place. The totality of the Christian life is when Jesus is Lord, over my time, over my treasures, and over my talents. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has generously given to me so much. So God, what would you have me to do now, at this time? You see, I never want, I've been saying this, I said this to short at first, and I've just been, it's been echoing in my mind. I never want to get in the way of what God is doing. I never want to get in the way of what God wants to do through my life. And it was sparked by this revival thing that's going on. And you look at it, I go, wow, cool. Or maybe you go on skeptically, well, I don't know about that. But I say, Lord, I never want to get in the way of what you want to do in my life. Get in the way of what you want to do through my life. I never want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I never want to quench the Spirit in my life. I never want my heart to be in a growing state of hardening. I will tell you, legalistic policies will do just that. But loving people never will. Never will. Romans 13.10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfillment of the law. 1 John, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. 
And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? All day and any day, look to love people right where they're at. Pastor Matt Chandler, down in Texas, my son was on staff with him for a while. He said, quote, what made me love Christ wasn't that all of a sudden I started figuring out how to do life. What made me love Christ is that when I was at my worst, when I absolutely could not clean myself up, and there was nothing anybody could do with me, right at that moment Christ said, I'll take that one. That's the one I want, unquote. And friends, that may be you being loved by Jesus. But it also may be you and Jesus loving someone else, caring for someone else. You see, legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. So I would add to that. The gospel says God will change him or her because he loves him or her. How? Through us. That's the Sabbath. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. Is it lawful to do good? You bet it is every time. Is it lawful to save life? You bet it is every time. Is it lawful to provide? You bet it is every time. That's God's heart to us and then wants that heart, same heart to be through us. Stand with me. If the worship team could come up, let's close and worship before him this morning. And we're always going to have prayer tables on either side if you want prayer. You can even just go up during this worship song. Come down afterwards. If you have prayer requests, you'd like to put in there. But Lord, we want to just lift up our souls to you in Jesus' name that you would give to us just a reunite, a reigniting of our love for you as believers. Please, Lord. Please. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Cause us to walk according to the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Cause our hearts to be moved as yours is for those people that are in our lives that we see maybe day by day, maybe once in a while, our loved ones. Cause our hearts to be moved with your love, with your truth, with your wisdom, with your guidance, with all of that, the wisdom that we need to walk this thing out called Christianity. Hear our prayer, Lord, now as we worship you in song. Lifting our hearts to you, God, you are so good, kind beyond all measure. 